listening to the Frugal Spender podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Frugal Spender podcast. This is episode number 49. Today, I'm sitting down and having a conversation with Ken Costa. Ken has been a global investment banker for over 40 years and was the chair of UBS Investment Bank and Lazard International and is currently the chairman of Helios Fairfax, the largest private equity group in Africa. Ken is an author known for his titles such as Know Your Why, God at Work and his most recent book, The $100 Trillion Wealth Transfer which is the book that I was interested in talking to him about in this episode. Ken has a wealth of financial experience under his belt, and I enjoy talking to him about the generational divide that currently exists and how we think it is possible to overcome it. So here is my conversation with Ken Costa. Ken, and welcome to the Frugal Spender podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And it's great to be able to talk to you and and to all those frugal people. (laughs) Thing is, everyone always focuses on the frugal part of my name. Nobody ever talks about the spender part. So all of my friends, whenever whenever they talk to me about the name frugal spender, they always think I'm this real tight ass, and never never talk about the spender part. That's a good place to be. I wouldn't worry about it. Be frugal. <laughs> and the spending will come later. <laughs> so Ken, we we're just talking before I hit record um, that we share a bit in common uh, as far as our where we grew up and our, our original schooling. So might be a good place to start um would you mind just telling the listeners if they don't know who you are a little bit about yourself and kind of what led you to what you're doing now so i grew up in south africa um good good part of the world to to grow up went to university there in in johannesburg then came over to uh to england uh where i studied uh, um, law and theology in um, the university of cambridge became an investment banker uh not the flavors of the month, uh, and stayed there for the last 40 years, which is basically what I've been doing uh, and um, trying to help people make basically good decisions, um, but mostly in the corporate field, uh, except that in recently I've become much more active with young guys doing startups uh, and mentoring, coaching, and looking looking to the future with them. That's, um, that's quite a... I would say traditional background, just talking about what I talk about. Um, people come from the finance sector, banking, investment, that sort of thing. I've come from a very different background. Um, as again, we were just talking about off air, how I came from the public sector. I have no background whatsoever in finance. So I am trying to navigate the world of both personal finance, but also economics and politics um, kind of through the lens of money from somebody who has zero sort of real life experience as it were so it was well, really interesting no, no but i tell you you're probably better um better place to that because you haven't bought all the bullshit you can actually stand back from it and say you know what makes basic sense um uh yeah. and of course nobody knows i mean e- economics is dealing with the future nobody knows what's going to happen you remember the late queen's wonderful remark at the time of the last a global financial crisis did no one see this coming and answer was not many there were one or two but by and large people didn't so i think you're in a good position 
And that's always a message, I think, that whenever you're looking after your own funds, your own money, um, you know, is, you know, don't trust others, but trust your instincts as well. Trust doing some good work and trying to, you know, make sensible decisions. Nobody knows the future. So, you know, some can help, but don't just pass it off to someone else. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that was kind of a nice way of me saying that I, I don't want to also be part of the of the finance sector. I think I've kind of navigated this world purposely without getting sort of letters at the end of my name and an email to say that, you know, I've I've done a course on, you know, financial advice. I, I, I personally think that in some respects puts me into the same category and limits me about what I can say and um, certain things that, you know, I, I can't give advice. I don't want to give people advice, but I think it almost pigeonholes me into um, saying, you know, what everybody else is currently saying. So I think, I think you're right in the sense that I can bring my unique sort of experience with money and try and share it that way rather than just, you know, the party line as it were. I would think that's, that's absolutely right, which is no doubt why, your frugal spender has got a sort of good audience because you give it, you know, straight truth, asking good questions and trying to determine whether the answers are sensible or not. Well, I hope so. So, Ken, you've recently um, released a new book, which you, were ki- which you kindly sent me. And I finished reading a couple of days ago, uh, The Hundred Trillion Dollar Wealth Transfer How the Handover from Boomers to Gen Z Will Revolutionize Capitalism. Um, I really liked kind of the honesty that you wrote with. I think it was uh, reading it from a somebody who sits in that category, um, written by somebody who sits in the boomer category. I found it quite um, quite refreshing that you took on board a lot of, or you take on board a lot of what my generation and the younger generation. Um, I'm millennial, so I'm 34, so I'm still I'm kind of in between that. I'm certainly not young anymore. But well, I don't know about that, when you're, my, <laughs> when you're my boomer age, you're. <laughs> um, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, but no, no, it was refreshing to read. Um, but I think for, for my audience, I think I'd like to simplify things a little bit to start in the beginning. Maybe um, how how would you define capitalism? Well, I mean, there, the, in in its simplest form, it's the the, the most basic system that actually. Um, pays attention to the scarcity of resources and the allocation of scarce resource uh, to the creation of value. Uh, and that is, that is you know, the basic piece. And essential to it is going to be uh, the ability to take risk, uh, reward for endeavor, um, reward for uh, performance, uh, and that it sets an individual in a place where they know that nobody owes you a living, but there is amazing amounts for everybody to be able to work hard, uh, work smart, uh, and add value. Okay. And would you say uh, throughout your life working in investment banking and in finance and just general life experience, would you say capitalism has changed or evolved, whether for the good or bad? Yeah, sure. I, I think that uh, when, um, and I'll give you an example of this. Um, in um, When the Occupy movement um, uh, camped outside St. Paul's Cathedral, and it was a very real threat of violence, where people were saying, you know, if this capitalism system is good for you, Ken, why the, star, star, star for your audience, <laughs> uh, <laughs> why, why doesn't it work for us? 
why can I never find, uh, uh, let alone a house to own or to have a deposit for a house, but even look at the rental markets? And it struck me then that, and I was asked at that stage to intervene between the uh, the demonstrators, the protesters outside the St. Paul's Cathedral and the City Fathers. And I think that uh, capitalism lost its moral moorings. It lost the fact that it really does depend on people's trust, on people buying into it, and on it being able to be distributed fairly across the the uh, across the piece. And but I think it has changed. I think people have become more attentive uh, to the wider needs, and mostly for millennials, particularly who I think I think your generation is amazing uh, in that you want to do well, but you also want to do good. And I think that's the essence of of of, of how the capital system works. Yeah, I mean, my experience of it, I would certainly agree, especially what resonates with me massively, what you said there is the distrust towards um, capitalism, but also just authority in general. Yes. And that's yes. something that I experienced firsthand. I mean, I was a police officer for a uh, police officer for five years. Um, and, you know, even from that small period of time, I experienced huge change in the, I mean, things out of our control, sort of incidents that happened in America and the UK that sort of compounded and not only politics, the, you know, just authority in general, but police are almost the epitome of somebody, you know, walking around in uniform, people, that is the ultimate authority for many people. Um, and I experienced a lot of hate towards the end of my very short career. Well, I think you really put your finger on it. And and the but the, the big cause, in my view, came with the global financial crisis of 809, because what happened is that your generation were just growing up and banks were sort of traditionally by a previous generation, mine included, were the sort of places that you could trust. And when you saw what had happened to your families and to your friends and to your to your own lifestyle, uh, when these banks began to collapse, that's when the trust people also sort of said, well, we can't trust this. And a generation started growing up saying, well, we can't trust the banks. We don't want to trust the politicians. Uh, we don't trust the police. So anything that corporate or institutional had a big reaction. And that's one of the reasons why cryptocurrency grew as rapidly as it did amongst your generation, because you basically said, you guys screwed up the financial system with your fiat currency. Well, we're going to have a go at something that's different, which you can't control. Now, there are dangers attached to all of that. But that, that issue of trust is, I think, the most fundamental uh, of, of all. And I think you're absolutely right. We need to build that back. I I, I agree. I think cryptocurrency, or Bitcoin in particular, I think is the ultimate two fingers up to um, you know the banking system, really, because it is decentralized and nobody has control. And I'm interested, actually, on that point, because I know you touched on cryptocurrency um, a little bit in your book. But um, what it, I mean, what, firstly, what are your views on Bitcoin as opposed to cryptocurrency in general? Um, and do you think it is a potential solution going forward? Well, my fingers are burnt. So, uh, <laughs> so, so if, if, if you want to, if you want to, if you want the honest opinion, I, I, you know, yes, I've got some. Um, uh, I think it is going to emerge. There's, there's no sense in which, you know, there's been a massive failure, of course, but that's always the case with new things in in in, in the capitalist world. Um, I think crypto is here to stay. Whether it's Bitcoin or any version of Bitcoin, too difficult to to um, uh, to to answer. 
Um, but it had its heyday. I'll give you an example. I was asked by a friend of mine to speak to a group of his of his friends. And he said, Ken, you must understand, we're all builders and plumbers and electricians. The most the biggest salary amongst us is going to be, you know, 60 60k maybe so please you know don't be a banker to us but tell us how to invest how to help our money and all of that and of course i was talking about safety and all of that only to find almost all of them uh immediately responded to me by saying no 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 you know we, we've all bought our brick uh, our bitcoin should we be buying more and i thought oh, you know, is, <laughs> i'll never win this one yeah i think just the uh, it's almost like the risk appetite has changed, isn't it? Pe- people are like, we have so little now, we have to take that additional risk to to almost outpace inflation because inflation is hitting everybody. I mean, it's, inflation is nothing new, but it's it, in the news everywhere now, and it's at the forefront of everybody's mind when they go into you know to Tesco to go and buy their shopping. They're thinking, I need to take more risk potentially to beat this, not just keep up with it, but actually beat it. Well, you see, we see what you've just said is, I mean, your generation won't know what inflation is like any more than you know what a, a recession is like. Mm. But I've lived through those cycles. And that's why one of the things that I, is, is the critical piece of my book is that you need the hindsight of my generation, um, the insight of yours, because you've got real insights. You're not afraid of the future. You're not afraid of technology to create a purposeful or what I call foresight. So you've got hindsight, insight and foresight for working together uh, in 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 uh, in in a, a market economy, and I think that th- that is very important because you know risk now is um, is something we must we have to understand in an inflationary world because everything that in, is is cost of living is is, is crucial uh, for for all of us, most of all for a millennial generation. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so. You've you've chosen the number one hundred trillion. Yes. Wow. How how did you get to that number? Well, the, the, I mean, there are uh, there are a number of um, of reports uh, that are contained uh, in 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 the book. The US alone is sixty four trillion, and in the UK, it's going to be translate well. It's five and a bit trillion of um, of um, of sterling. Um, and then the rest of the world will will make up the rest. But the interesting thing about it is, it's not that you know, it, it's always the case that one generation dies and the other generation takes on um, what what they've left behind. But for the first time, we've had a massive involvement uh, of not only a seismic amount of money that is moving from one generation to another, but it's said uh, the wealth has moved, but also the power. And the empowerment of this of your generation is what makes this very very different, uh, and that's what I think is going to uh, it, it makes this the the decisive change that has occurred between uh, between the generational shifts. Uh, and you know, your power comes from technology. You're empowered by technology like no one before. You're empowered by being influencers on social media like never before. And you're empowered by having a very clear agenda as to what you want to see happen to this move of funds. Now, let me just say, this is not just waiting for another 10 or 15 years. In this country, uh, already 68 billion pounds has moved from the bank of mum and dad. It's the biggest bank for equity, for putting deposits 
into people's houses or helping with the rent or helping with students um, that uh, of, of any of the institutions. So it's already started, um, and and that's and that's the piece that I think is going to continue uh, over the next uh, over the next generation. Yeah, it's a lot of the people that I talk to about the subject are people, kind of day to day people that potentially don't have bank of mum and dad to sort of bankroll deposits for houses. And I think, you know, I've certainly experienced not towards me, but towards kind of the boomer generation, your generation is this real anger because it feels like boomers in general have got this sort of unearned wealth that, you know, in the seventies and eighties, they bought these houses for, you know, 30,000 pounds that are now worth six, 700,000 pounds. And, um, I was listening to um, LBC the other day and people calling in talking about inheritance tax and how there was this kind of back and forward about whether inheritance tax was a good thing or a bad thing. And a lot of people, the consensus generally was that inheritance tax, you know, people should have this big inheritance tax bill because of this unearned wealth. And the way I look at it, I don't know what your view is, but the way I look at it is that was money bait the growth of the equity of that property was generally off the back of inflation and, you know, more money in circulation. It's not like the house relatively now versus then is worth a lot more because the money that it's worth now would buy the same amount of stuff that, you know, that 30,000 pound would have bought before. And it's that kind of mindset that these boomers have, have all this money and they did nothing for it and that they should somehow be punished for it from, the, you know, that's from a younger generation. And personally, I think that's wrong, but I wonder what your, your view is on that. Well, I mean, I think it's it's the worst of the taxes because you already paid tax on your money. Exactly. And therefore, I think it's a very good thing to be able to dispose of it to that next generation. Yeah. And I think that increasingly we will find that inheritance taxes probably in this country um, will be will be reduced. That means that that the 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 handover to the next generation mm. will will be greater. Uh, and and therefore. Uh, it's very important for us to recognize that the silos that exist at the moment, you know, I sit in as, you know, as a boomer, you are as a, as a millennial, but actually when you think of some of the, the hate, the, the, the Twitter rages, the social media, you know, you know, attacking one group, attacking the others, boomers think that zoomers, do you want to um, uh, just sort of shag shop and share, mm. you know, that's, mm in a caricature and and the the zoomers look at the boomers and think well you've had the fat of the land you've taken all the all the all the rise and you don't want to share it uh so you've got these two silos these two you know which and i think that is a that is a disaster for the future uh of of our social cohesion but also for 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 capitalism itself yeah it, it definitely isn't healthy. And I don't know whether social media, I mean, social media definitely amplifies those views and, you know, forces the, you know, whatever view you have, you know, it's that sort of echo chamber gets forced upon you and, yeah. and people yeah. discuss it and it kind of builds it. And, but the people that I have face-to-face -face conversations, kind of subjects like this, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel like that. I think um, there's I'm sure outliers, but I think it's more on social media than kind of the day-to-day -day conversations between sort of intergenerations, in my opinion. Well, I think we have to be careful because we could set up an, you know, an, the, the the clash of generations, or what I call, uh, which I think is the piece that I really strongly feel is the co of generations, the cooperation of the generations. So when people say, "Well, what's your answer to this, Ken?" My answer to it is that is this little word called co. Mm -hmm. Now we've seen K 
co-living, co-investing, um, kind of things that were being done, co-working. But we haven't actually seen a, a philosophical change, a big change in the mindset, um, which I think is happening, uh, which I call co-destiny. The realization that we need to work together um, uh, to grow businesses, to grow and help a generation both ways. Um, so it's not just that wisdom is with the age. I, I think there's real two-way streets of wisdom. Young guys like you, able to look to the future um, and and see a, a different picture from the fearful ones that most of my generation would would feel. So I think that whole way in which which one can work together. So for example, myself, I would be um, investing in small companies, um, trying to mentor, to coach, to invest. And, and I learn from, uh, from, uh, from them as well. I learn that, you know, just the way the world has changed. That's why I think it's, it's a really important uh, function for us to be working together in, in, across the field, whether it's social or financial or political. Yeah. Well, you've got children, don't you? Four kids, yeah. What would you say, um, what, what sort of financial or money lessons did you were important for you to pass on to them because obviously well, they're the generation below so you know they are the future yeah i mean i think that the the, the, the most important was to be generous um and because i think that a generosity of spirit is actually what i think this generation is so good at and if you're generous in your in the in, in the way in which you behave towards other people and i don't only mean money I mean, generous in time, generous in in you know in, in helping others, in generous in, and and we saw that during COVID, uh, an extraordinary generational generosity, uh, and I think that translates into the money field as well. You know, you know, work hard and make something, but do well and and do good as well. You know, use to you know always give uh, some portion of what you've earned to those that are less. Less less fortunate. I think that and 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 gratitude was the key piece rather than entitlement of what I tried to help, whether successful or not. Uh, we'll wait and see. All your age. <laughs> I think COVID. If there was anything that sort of good came out of COVID, I think for me in particular, that was one of those things. That feeling of gratitude, and we were stuck in our houses. Um, fortunately or unfortunately I still had to go out to work but the times that I was at home and felt isolated I think it kind of put me into a mindset that I was like oh you know I have my family I have a house I have the ability to to be healthy and walk around if you know all those things that the things that you take for granted actually forces your mind into this place where yeah you can be generous because you're grateful for what you have you're not kind of holding on to everything yeah, yeah. And, and refusing yeah. to let it go Absolutely. And I tell you what the other interesting thing was, it also forced particularly a generation um, to rethink, you know, the, the, the basis of the material world. Um, our generation uh, grew up with the expectation that material prosperity would bring you happiness. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, it's failed to do so. Uh, and there's an increasing desire uh, for, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of spirituality if you want to call it the churches have failed in many ways but a generation wants something that is non-material wants something that has a, a a spiritual content to it and that i think integrates into the workplace uh for for a, a lot of people finding you know a healthy way of living 
because the mental issues uh, that are faced by your generation are enormous and one has to see a life drawn together. And that's one of the more exciting things that I, I think is that there is a there is no division in your generation between that which is spiritual or material or uh, aspirational, you know, that you're trying to run them together. Mm. The problem is you've got... Uh, you know, you 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 don't know where the boundaries are. You know, uh, so if I were to say to someone of my generation, "Look, I need this piece of work done by close of business," they'd be five o'clock, maybe six. If I said that to you, you'll mean a minute to midnight, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very different clock. Yeah, that is true, and I think the sort of mental health aspect. I mean, I saw it firsthand when I was in the police, and COVID ramped that up massively. And that's kind of why it is the generation are more thinking about the collective, the sort of social, not socialist, I'd hate to say, but that kind of mindset of the collective rather than the individual. How 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 do you kind of render those two ideas together to make capitalism? Because capitalism on from the people that I speak to that view capitalism, it's very much about the individual going out there, make something of yourself. Sure, you hire people and, and, and provide jobs and opportunity and all that sort of thing, but you're very much there to make a profit. That's how a lot of people uh, from my generation and, and younger view capitalism. So that's kind of, the, they are so anti-capitalism because they're so against that view that you said that virtue that you know my generation and younger have is you know, let's do the, what's best for the environment. Let's do what's best for us all together. Let's get some sort of universal basic income, which in a lot of people's minds doesn't compute with capitalism. Well, again, uh, you, you, you know, you hit, you've hit the, you've hit an, a very important nail on the head. Um, we have got to, at least my generation has got to engage with yours on being able to debate and to argue the importance of making the pie bigger before you start cutting it up. And therefore, what I talk about, the, the shift uh, for, of, of a generation, which I, I think is, is there, others don't see it, I think it's on its way, the move from, from I or from me to we, that you do, think, you do think in a broader pattern, you do think of a wider group of people, but that is essentially part of, of recognizing this, that that which... I gain by working together is far more than that which I lose by being a sort of tough, driving, hard-assed person um, in some sort of capitalist structure. And, and that, for that reason, I think there will be a change. And if you look at so many of the startups, so many of them have got co-founders because the recognition is that actually working together produces, a, you know, a bet in my view, a better result than just the sort of sole trader, the command and control person in charge of a previous generation won't work for your generation. Um, yeah. But I'm excited by that because I think that is the that is the new influence, the new blood that's coming into the market economy. Yeah, that is interesting. It'd be intriguing to see 20, 30 years in the future. Hopefully it's blended in nicely and capitalism is still very much going, but under a different, under a different guise. It reminded me when you're talking then of thinking about climate change and how you know the younger generation are, are very much heavily focused on that I, I i met with rishi sunak actually a couple of months ago and i got to ask him a question um and i thought quite long and hard about what i was going to ask him and at the time climate change and sort of net zero is all over the news so i thought i'd ask him at the same time the cost of living crisis happening does he think it's possible 
for uh, you know these targets for net zero which appear in many senses to be virtue signaling to get votes that you know we will you know we are going to save the world please vote for us but also we're going to you know we're going to make sure the cost of living crisis kind of goes away but it isn't because everyone when they buy things is seeing the cost of things rising rapidly so i asked him do you think those two things can work together can you lower you know prices for people and inflation and at the same time you know reach these net zero targets that we all know in the short term cost more money because the renewable energies do you know they cost more money in the short term and in the long term more sustainable gonna it's gonna get cheaper but in the short term at the moment fossil fuels are cheaper um and he said he thinks they can and interestingly, a month later, he backtracked on a lot of his net zero targets and pushed them a lot forward. So maybe he doesn't really think that. But I'm intrigued as to what you think about that. Well, I think one has to be sort of recognize the contribution that the Xennials have made. I mean, I do think it's a prophetic generation. It's a generation that is pointed out in a very powerful way. Whatever you might think of Greta Thunberg, um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think her... Her great speech was just filled with anger and very little hope. But mm -hmm. uh, all worldwide, she became a symbol of, of putting a, an important um, agenda item on the global agenda. And I think the generation is wanting to see, you know, a planet preserved and action taken to preserve it. That is true. And that's why it's pointing to the future. However, there isn't a switch which is brown today and you pull it and it's green tomorrow. I mean, that's just the unrealistic world um, or, or, that we will have uh, carbon um, based figure industries for, for a, a period of time. What matters is actually having a, a clear, as Rishi would have explained to you, a, a, a set of guidelines over which people have got KPIs that they can be measured against over a period of time. So the attack on all the major oil companies is, is I think, a futile attack, rather reward them for the percentage of environmentally friendly green um, green energy sources that they are deploying, so, so that you encourage them to to build uh, to to build on the the the, uh, the wind and solar and 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 alternative energy sources. So I think it's a combination of 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 of, of real carrot. Um, I don't think stick works. Uh, carrot works. Um, and you know that's uh, that's an important piece yeah and that goes back to what you're saying about anger i think it, it all stems from this anger the, the greta thunberg kind of what have you done to us but then ironically she's lived a pretty good life <laughs> by all accounts it comes from a pretty good family so you know it's, it's it reminds me of what's that saying yeah strong men make good times good times make weak men weak men make bad times, bad times, or hard times make strong men. You know, it's yeah. it's at the time we're currently have good times that are making potentially weak men. Yeah. No, I think that, uh, and I think what is needed now is for a generation to to really be engaging in the new industries, in the new technology, um, to to uh, to be able to, to recognize that you want to do well, but you also want to do good. That, I think is a defining part. And that is true whether you're a, a painter or a, um, you know, sort of a policeman or a banker, whatever it is. I think mm -hmm. for that next generation, there is a deep sense of a commitment, a broader commitment to the stakeholders in the society we're living in and also in the planet at large, which I think is, uh, which is an enormous advantage. Yeah.
I agree. So with your vast experience in the sort of finance sector and helping people, and I'm assuming very good with your own money and understand investing, what would you say to if anyone's listening and they are just getting started on their money journey and they are looking to improve their personal finances? What would you, what would your sort of key things that you uh, they need to understand and can action immediately? What would you recommend? It's tough, I know. But try, even in small amounts, to build a savings habit um, in for yourself. Um, in a previous generation, we'd call it a pension. I mean, I think uh, <laughs> a, a savings habit. Um, and, and because you've got amazing tools available uh, to buy fractions of shares, um, to be able to to recognize that over the long term, and this is the long term, this is not day tomorrow, over the long term, the equity market has shown that it will consistently produce returns that, that would be better than any one-offs. And encourage yourself into building, you know, a, a, even in the smallest amount, it's the habit that matters, not the amount. Uh, and then just, you know, Look at you know the cheap trackers that you can find to have a global exposure to to the share market, provided your 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 time horizon is five years or more, and if, and and if it's not, reduce the amount. So if you've got fifty quid a month that you could spend, you know, and you say, well, I need twenty five of that, then keep twenty five in cash or or whatever, and use the other twenty five, but get the habit. Of, of actually preparing for the rainy day, but also learning the way in which uh, in, in you, you, your investments uh, can work. And there are so many advantages that you have in modern apps. I wouldn't necessarily put it all into crypto on day one. No, definitely not, because you will pull it out as soon as it drops. No, I think as you as you mentioned pension, then it made me laugh because the especially the public sector is still viewed as this sort of gold standard pension that's absolutely fantastic but um i worked out i did five years in the police and by the time by the time i get to retirement age now um i think 63 i can start withdrawing i have the equivalent of today's money of one thousand pounds a year and i did i put every single penny that i needed to into that pension uh, and i have a thousand pounds a year after five years service now that's just a, a little insight there to the public sector pension that um isn't quite as fantastic as people yeah. think it no. potentially is um, i totally agree with you i think pensions sound boring um and they are pretty boring they should be boring it should just be kind of this long-term thing that's happening in the background that you don't look at um but so many people that i know won't think about a pension until they're 50 despite me trying my best to to well, don't call, just don't them. call it a pension just call it you know sort of your regular saving mm. you know trying to you know save enough for the deposit on a house if you live in this country that's what uh, that's a basic and it's a good thing to have a roof over your head or something to work walk towards um but i do think it's the habit that matters mm. And the time horizon, I think, is, is a huge one, one that we, as the younger generation, with the sort of influx in buy now, pay later and 0% financing, people are very much thinking about the let's buy it now. Um, 
And because it's available and pushed upon them so much, it seems like it's an okay thing to do. And I'm very much, I mean, debt is one of the reasons that I got into personal finance because I knew nothing about money, got into debt and had to work my way out of it, which is what led me to where I am now. But I think a lot of people don't get to the stage that I got to where they've backed into a corner so much that they feel they have to learn how to get out and can potentially live their whole lives thinking about next month, the month after, as opposed to thinking, you know, for, like you said, the you know, five year plus for investing. That's so, you know, it is literally five years time problem. It's not my problem today. Well, well, that's true. But I think that that it's so good, Brian, when you say that you took some help and advice to get out of debt. Hmm. I think that's the that's a killer, and it's tough for all of us. And 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 I think that you know you have to resist so much of the advertising, um, and also the quick fixes. You know, football betting or, or cryptos hmm. or whatever these things are. Um, you know, they they don't they don't work. I mean, it's that practical habit of beginning to save for a deposit on a house, and at the end of the day, you know we. The real issue is we can't make you. You can't be a capitalist if you haven't got any capital. So it's a <laughs> there is a need to be to try and build stuff up and and find ways of being able to work together with friends and you know even in small things to you know provide services or that 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 people want or that need in the local community or wherever it is. Start small. Um, mm-hmm. So many people did. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One last question, because I know your time yeah. is quite limited. Yeah. Um, uh, we both came from South Africa, and I don't know what age you came over to, to England. Um, okay. I don't know if you noticed or still feel like um, the class divide in, in, in England is it plays a major part with money. I, I certainly feel like it has, and the people I talk to, there's a very much sort of interclass, not hatred, because but it's very similar to the the generational thing where it's the them and us sort of thing. Um, and I don't remember feeling that quite as much in South Africa. Um, potentially, it's there. Maybe I was too young to to really to see it or experience it. But from talking to people from America and consuming a lot of American content, I feel like the the, the way English people look at capitalism and also the sort of class system is very different it's very much like the american dream is you know sure not as great as it used to be but still very much alive in the sense that anybody can achieve that you know start their own business and become billionaires potentially everyone almost feels like that's possible but i feel like in the uk or the people that i speak to quite often it's almost like this is where i am this is the class i'm in this is just you know what my parents did I'm not going to strive to because I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I, I to be honest, I haven't really experienced it at that at, at that level, but I understand what you're saying. I think that one of the great issues in in in, in the UK is there isn't a real um, entrepreneurial spirit. We don't really reward success. We don't mm-hmm. approve of success. Yeah, um, we we sort of think that if you've succeeded, you've taken a quick turn, or you Absolutely. you you know, you've. Uh, you haven't played it quite straight. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's the key piece. Um, and I'm hoping that in this next generation, it will change because uh, the, the the internet, the broad, you know, broadband has brought with it the ability for anybody anywhere to start something and to grow it uh, from wherever they happen to be. So, the, you know, and, and for relatively small amounts compared to starting other uh, other businesses. So I do think it's an encouraging generation that is, 
that is wanting to to actually change the way in which capitalism both expands the cake and also shares it uh, in an equitable way. Yeah, absolutely. I think the mindset's very similar to what you're saying about starting incrementally saving, save what you can. It's that same sort of mindset, that growth, long-term thinking, I can do it. There is sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And like you said, you know, carrots instead of sticks, I think in just in general in life is, is the way to do it, incentivize people to do these things. And uh, thank you very much for, um, you know, for A, writing the book and B, for coming in to talk uh, it's about very, it. It's very kind of you. I hope it's been helpful. It's uh, very nice. And I hope you continue to be both frugal and a good spender. <laughs> Uh, and fingers, the guys who are listening to you benefit from it which i'm sure they will so where can people if they want to find out more about yourself or your book or any other books that you've written where can they find it they can find it on amazon or kedcosta.com um uh we'll, we'll we'll take them to it or, or insta awesome well i'll tag you on insta with any uh any videos i do from here yeah could you that'd be great actually thank you very much <laughs> absolutely might Ken... see you on tiktok brian <laughs> i hope you have an account <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> this time uh, Ken thank you very much for your time thank you yeah.